0: Hello everybody, what's up? This is Bob Huang here with episode 27 of ELO Punters. Uh, with me is my regular co-host Daniel. Hello. Say hi Daniel. Hey. And we also have a very special guest tonight. Uh, we have Gary Wong, uh, who is the recently crowned uh, Legacy Pit Open Champion. Welcome Gary, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, really, really happy that we were able to get you on such short notice. Um, I talked to some of your kind of uh, friends from Arizona Legacy. Um, everybody says really nice things about you, and uh, I'm definitely interested to kind of learn more about that scene and uh, how how all this came to be. You definitely played a, a very interesting Jeskai deck with uh, with two days. I don't know how Daniel feels about that, but um, we'll definitely get into that. Um, but just how does it feel to be the Legacy Open champion, uh, Legacy Pit Open champion?
1: I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a little surreal. Um, I've been running hot, uh, this last couple of months. I recently just won the, uh, Hunter Burn Memorial Open. Um, and so I won that, uh, in modern. And then, um, I'm, I was a little surprised that I did win this event because I hadn't put a lot of time to testing the format. Um, But, you know, everything kind of came together and, um, you know, I played relatively well until the very end of the event. And, but I, I got there. I managed to finish the crossing, uh, the finish line.
0: Okay. I, I didn't know you won the Hunter Burton as well. How many people were in that? Uh,
1: like, I think it was just a little bit over 400. 500 is like the cap.
0: Wow, OK, that's that's super impressive. Um, definitely on a little bit of a heater then. That's awesome. We're really um, happy to have you and going to delve right into that. But um, before we get into the meat of the episode, we would first like to thank our new patrons, um, Greg and Joe, as well as our wonderful editor, Liz. Um, she is at Ely of the vale, uh, Ellie of the Veil. Ellie of the Veil, sorry. Um, all right, so before we get into um, your, your story, because that's going to be the bulk of the episode, uh, Daniel, anything you've been up to in the past few weeks? Not really, just uh, playing a bit of
2: uh, Magic Online events per usual. Nothing special.
0: <laughs> as per usual, yeah. I've definitely been getting more into the swing of things as well. I, I tested pretty heavily for this event. Um, I, You know, sometimes I've been kind of off and on for Legacy, but I definitely played a lot for this event. Um, I played Mono Blue Affinity, uh, very similar to the list that won the most recent Legacy PTQ. Um, and the deck felt really strong, so definitely going to touch on that a little bit when we start talking about the, the event itself. Um, but yeah, Gary, tell us a little bit about your kind of, you know, magic story. It sounds like you play some modern, you play legacy. Yeah. Um, You know, I think you mentioned to me that you started playing, you know, way back in Torment and your Magic Online screen name has a space in it. So anybody with a space in it, I'm just like mad respect. You've been around since the dark days of of Magic Online. So, yeah, tell me about like how you got started and how you um, and like what you mostly play these days.
1: Um, So I started, you know, back in like middle school, high school. Some of my friends started playing it then and uh, I kind of jumped in, played a little bit casually. Uh, I think I started grinding a bit um in like the early 2000s um and then kind of just got a little bit competitive in like um like i would probably say 2010 2011 and kind of just uh kept going from there but i actually got into legacy as like the first format that i really enjoyed uh it was called one five then i don't know if you guys knew it as that back then but the big decks back in in that day was um blue red standstill Food Chain Goblins, and uh, World Gorger, uh combo. So those were like the three pillars of the format back then. And as the format evolved, you know, Canadian Threshold came about. And I'm generally the blue player in, in our AZ meta. Like, uh, I like blue decks. I like Force of Will, Brainstorm, uh, all those good stuff. Um, and then I kind of just been playing Legacy ever since then. Uh, it's my favorite format by far. Uh, I used to play a lot more standard, but, you know, as times changed, you know, I just wasn't keeping up with it as much as I could, and I kind of gravitated towards, like, modern, since there's, like, a bridge between modern and and Legacy sometimes, and so um, I kind of grinded for a little bit, uh, was on the train for for a good year, and then um, kind of, like, you know, started reeling back, having more responsibilities in real life, but I still play Legacy whenever I get an opportunity to.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know you were doing the whole Pro Tour thing. How many Pro Tours did you, have you played in?
1: Um, I think 10. Okay, that's, a, that's definitely a solid number. Well, actually, what started it was um, I actually top-aided a Legacy GP.
0: Oh, no way. What did you
1: play? Uh, and which GP was it? It was GP uh, Seattle Tacoma 2015. I top-aided that event with uh, Grixis Delver, actually, funny enough.
0: Nice. Yeah, that, those were kind of the heydays of of Greg's I, I remember I was there at that event. Um, but that's that's mad impressive. Sounds like you've been uh going strong for a while now and not just this recent little heater.
1: It comes and goes. It, it there's definitely uh, a good amount of skill involved in magic, but luck helps you go a lot further at times.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the AZ Arizona uh, legacy community. Like what's that like? What are your like monthly tournaments like?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we have, we have a great presence down here for Legacy. Um, there's a bunch of great guys, uh, Daniel Espinoza, uh, Alexander Tash, and, um, David Stakowski. They all, um, host like our AZ Magic, uh, events, and they basically talk to stores, um, get them to collaborate with them to, um, have a, a hosting area for the event. Um, they, you know, contribute the prize pool and get the stores to pitch in as well. And then um, they make announcements. And we basically have this legacy series where um, there's X amount of tournaments within a season. And the, th- the, the champions of each of the, the city champs is what we call them, the legacy city champs. Uh, each one of them gets an invite to the master event. And then the top qualifying point uh, earners in the season also gets an infight. So it's a 16-man event at the end of the year with a huge prize pool that we compete for.
0: That is so cool. That actually um, reminds me of I was listening to kind of Kai. Uh, he's over in Tokyo. They were talking about their God of Legacy series, where there's like um, a different Legacy tournament in like you know Haruya. There's one in Tokyo. There's one in Osaka, and then there's like. Um, This like legacy quote unquote legacy God where if you win that tournament you are the legacy God and then. uh, Every single like legacy tournament you go to is free entry and then um, in order to like become the new God, you have to win the tournament and defeat the prior God so. uh, I thought that was just like a really cool system Um, your system sounds really interesting as well just having a whole like legacy series with like a championship. Um, at the end it sounds like basically a little bit like Pro Magic, a little bit like, you know, what SCG was doing for a while. So that's that's really cool.
1: Yeah, it was it I mean, you know, props to them. They took on that mantle because we had some um some big uh legacy connoisseurs back in the day that originally started this. Um their name I don't know if you know their names, but they were uh, Jason, Jeff A Bong. Um but you know They moved on from the game and they handed this over to to these guys and they took it on and they ran with it for the last couple of years. And it's been a huge success in Arizona.
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing to see something that's so community driven, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I was living down in Richmond, uh, like the support from the stores was like, you know, not always there. Um, But then. Uh, us players got together. We found this one guy who worked at a bowling alley and then he organized basically these monthly bowling alley tournaments and we would get like 20 plus people, you know, have a beer, uh, bowl some rounds in between if you wanted to. Uh, but it was like pretty awesome just like getting that community together um, if if the store support uh, wasn't, you know, as strong. So it sounds like you guys definitely have that down there. Yeah. Um, we're very lucky
1: oh sorry we're very lucky that we have um a great like community out here like we have lots of stores and they generally try and and support the players where where they can and and so they they want to work with with our, our group of legacy players to like make this event happen every single year
0: cool uh yeah speaking of alexander cash he uh let's we can get into the twitter questions now he asked one that uh I thought was pretty good. There's a definitely a multi-part question, but how did you decide on your deck versus, you know, a Blue-Red or Jeskai Saga deck or Blue-Red Delver? Uh, and uh, actually, let's just, let's start there because the other questions are a little bit different. So how did you decide on kind of your build of the deck, which is, um, you know, two days and then a whole Planeswalker suite, uh, I think would be the defining features, but feel free to kind of take it away
1: okay there's gonna be a little bit of a long backstory but i I promise it'll make sense (laughs) so um funny enough i so after winning the hunter burn event with with team teamer rhinos uh the cascade deck um my buddy jim dudak his handle is panhan go and he was actually talking about making it a legacy deck and so he actually made it into a legacy deck and he shipped me the list and uh i made some tweaks to it I actually played in one of our um, City Champs events, and I got second place with it. Um, so I was actually going to decide to play that deck for this event. And so I actually put a little testing into it. Uh, but the problem was we couldn't figure out how to make the blue-red matchup like very good. It was like we were below 50% in beating it. And uh, Death and Taxes was also a hard deck because they they did the same thing. They just kind of taxed your mana and uh, Dahlia was like a beating for us. So um, my buddy Jim and I, we put in a lot of uh, like time actually kind of testing that deck out and then it didn't work out. So when I was actually like looking around on online, I actually came across um, this list uh, that Archon had actually top aided a challenge um, back in first week of September, I think it was, it was the same week that the blue red saga deck had won the legacy challenge. And I looked at it and it was something that kind of spoke to me. I, I liked the Delver game plan that it was like presenting while at the same time having like a good late game, um, to, like, you know, with the planeswalkers, the, uh, expressive iteration package that was, it was running. It like, that's like playstyle I enjoy too. Like, I like into late game of, of magic. And, um, I didn't like, I didn't like the saga decks because I feel like Urza Saga is a very good card, but it doesn't always fit in well into the, the shell of the blue red decks and uh, it was something that like you know you're losing a land even though you're making a threat technically but sometimes your mana is being tied up into making those constructs or using it for like um whatever the artifacts you're fetching for and it just didn't feel very good to me so i was off of the blue red saga deck and then as for the blue red you know just traditional delver or temple whatever you want to call it that deck i I, I played a little bit of it, but I felt like I was having a hard time having an edge in the mirror match. Um, just because like all the cards are so powerful that they just kind of do their own thing. So I wasn't, um, really enjoying it. Um, the white splash, uh, by far was, uh, made, made the blue red matchups like a walk in the park. You have, you know, uh, four swords deal with opposing burktides. Um, and then you have prismatic ending to be able to clean up. The early threats like you know Ragavan and DRC, and plus you get to play Caracas, so you get to negate their Ragavans pretty easily or protect yours from removal. Um, I I think the biggest question I comes from um, the two days, and believe me, I got a lot of heat for it for for picking this list and playing two days, is, But I understand that I think the deck decision that Archon made originally with the deck is you. You want to have days for people to respect you for it. But at the same time, you can't play the days wasteland game plan as well. Because you have 3 and 4 mana uh, cards that you want to cast in time in this deck. And so, for me looking at the deck list, that was what I gathered from it. And I took it for a couple of leagues. And outside of some, some minor play mistakes, the deck felt really good to me. Um, the days were handy when I needed them to be. And when they weren't, I can shuffle them away. And one of the things that days was also good was is like I know I have a singleton Mystic Sanctuary in the list. It can pick up that Mystic Sanctuary and become a um a another action spell later on in the game. So that was something that I noticed. So I like little cute interactions like that that can be very good late game. Um and that's kind of like some of the the card choices I came into like when I was thinking about the deck that I liked about it and that's why I chose this deck for the event.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, actually, now now that I think about it, it, it you were playing I guess Archon's original list, um, with probably some slight tweaks. But um, how are the planeswalkers overall? Like, why did you feel like
1: that's where you wanted to lean? So, I think that uh, Teferi has not been seen a lot of play recently, and I'm trying to figure out why. Probably because it's three mana, but that card hoses a lot of decks. It's good against um you for fighting against combo. It Gives you an answer against uh, resolve threats that you normally can't handle, and you know it's uh, reasonable against like opposing bird Tides too. If you get to that point of needing to cast one to just bounce theirs, so um Teferi was like a good card I really liked, and then also I liked Narset because um, it just codes certain decks. Like you know some decks just can't function if they can't draw cards, so that was kind of a nail in the coffin type card that I really liked. Jace was the only Planeswalker that I did not cast very often at all. Actually, I don't think I cast at all in the tournament because I either used it to pitch to force or um, I sideboarded out frequently because it just wasn't good in the matchup I wanted it to be in. Um, I played against zero band control where that card would be good, so that's probably why.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah that makes sense the heyday of the Jace is definitely gone it's a little bit of a liability yeah, so, to have a four mana spell in your deck
1: uh, yeah so if I was to 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 say it would probably be like I think Teferi and Narset are like you know neck and neck and how good they are and then Jace kind of just was in the bottom um, change I would probably make would be to like to cut that Jace and either make it a second Teferi or make it like a fourth iteration or maybe even a third days possibly as like the change
0: Interesting. So, so Daniel, I want you to chime in now. Um you've definitely been testing, you know, Delver for a while. You tried all the different Jeskai variants. I don't know if you ended up trying this one with like more Planeswalkers, but uh what was your take on like the whole blue red variants versus Jeskai variants? Um
2: Yeah, I've, I mean, I haven't played Infinite, but uh I felt I was under the impression that they were uh pretty close. Um I thought the advantages, uh, the way I saw it, was like less in the mirror and more against like the overall meta, just because um, like uh, if you take a look at like a Jeskai Saga deck and like a Blue Red Delver deck, the lists, if you just, it's basically like you took the Blue Red deck and cut Delver and added Saga, so many of the cards are the same. I mean, you have Swords to Plowshares, so you have more answers to Murktide but um delver is, can be good in the mirror in, in a sort of a unique way so can saga um but i didn't really think like one deck was uh i, I was under the impression one deck was particularly better especially because blue red can have some haymakers like you could sideboard uh blood like a one of blood moon though maybe it's not that good or just um uh cards like court of cunning though uh Obviously, it can be hard to keep the monarch at times, but when you have like heavy gut shot and stuff, where you plan around it, and you can play it like turn four, or turn five. But I, I kind of said, um, like that if you play if you play like a Jeskai deck and you have like Saga as a finisher, or uh, Planeswalkers too, it just means your opponent can't have a game plan of just like killing all your threats to beat you. That that was kind of how I saw it. Like whereas if you play Delver kind of going to put yourself in a spot where you can be maybe vulnerable some games your opponent's just uh having a lot of like removal spells sort of like you don't have i mean you have court of cunning in the sideboard or cards like that but you're kind of uh might be pigeonholed into that game plan or having a uh, threats that don't scale as well into the late game when cards like gray and ray chandler and iteration um, can kind of sometimes want to make you scale into the late game and then your threat Delvers and has been the late game compared to saga or planeswalkers um though obviously it's like there's other stuff like plow versus bolt and you can play Caracas more easily and plow ma- makes it so like uh you can deal with random threats like knight of the relic more easily um so there's a lot of uh, minor differences that's how i kind of see it
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think you listed like a lot of the advantages of, of plow uh versus like the general field what are the advantages of of delver versus the general field that maybe Jeskai guy doesn't have
2: I mean, I would say one thing about Delver, the cards maybe um, are going to be less often a, uh, a brick, at least in the opening hands. Like the Jeskai cards can be a bit more situational or like uh, times will that be really good or really bad. Like um, like uh, when you play like uh, the Planes Walkers or Saga, there can be spots where they're too slow. Um, or let me try and think how to put it like. Like, when you play Delver, usually almost all your cards are going to be, like, relevant in the game. But when you, like, start playing a more controlling deck, uh, your hands might just be too slow to keep up. I'm not sure if that makes sense exactly, but that's just kind of how I see it. Like, when you compare, like, when you play a deck like Delver and you get paired against, like, Cloudpost, compared to when you play Miracles, or, like, not, I guess not Miracles, but, like, Bant, uh, and and paired against Cloudpost, like, Delver's just in a spot where all its cards are going to be, like, 7 out of 10s most of the time. So you can usually cast them and do something with them. And they're like kind of more uh, versatile in a way compared to being a bit more like specific to the situation i would also say like maybe the yeah the days is might be a bit better in like a delver shell i'm not sure exactly compared to like a when you play or planeswalkers i mean here it's, it's mm-hmm. only two days so it's a big cut yeah. down
0: yeah that's the thing with the i know i know gary didn't play sagas but if you do play sagas like you know saga you usually want to play it as your third or fourth land and then if you're, like, dazing early, it can set you back on Saga turns, which could matter as well. So um, I, I found that as a Delver player in that matchup, if you're just careful about your wastelands, you can often, you know, tag the Saga or make it so that it was, like, so late that it was no longer um, the beating that it, it would be. So um, I thought that, like, the matchup wasn't, like, necessarily, you know, super favored for just guy. Um, it was seemed pretty close to me. Um, Okay, cool. Going back to some of the other Twitter questions, we did get a a bunch. Um, This one came from uh, Frankie at True Nightmare. (laughs) Did Gary see the Twitch chat? And if so, how does he feel about his fan base being mass banned in support of him and this is where um i think people were spamming the dong to support the wong where they were spamming the eggplant emoji Uh, i don't know if you saw that
1: i i definitely did at the end of it it was um it was i you know i was taken away by all the support because my friend sent me a screenshot of it and i recognized like the first three like handles that was spamming the chat and they were guys from from texas um so I, i'm giving a shout out to the the dallas um zoo chat group because they're a bunch of people that i play with um that's kind of why people thought i was from texas but it's just because when i was doing the grind um i actually met some people from texas that uh, i worked well with and so i continued working with them and they they were part of the group that uh, I won the Hunburn Memorial Open with. And so they were just like, you know, basically shouting nonsense, hoping that I would spike another event. And so that's how this started.
0: That's hilarious. Uh, actually, did anybody play like the same list as you? Like, did you work closely with anybody or, or mostly you went off on your own after you did the, you know, Team or Footfalls deck? Uh,
1: it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was only uh, me. I talked to my buddy Jim a little bit about the deck and he thought I should have played a more traditional Jeskai variant like either Sagas or the more like four days for wasteland version just because he thought you know that's more consistent um but like I said something about this deck just spoke to me it was just like something that I liked in a deck it was well designed in the sense that Archon thought about all the card choices that he put into it and where he would need certain cards in certain situations and that's kind of how I like my decks at times too um so the cards just worked out well and when i played the league um the two leagues i did with it it felt really good each time i had the right cards or i knew my deck had an answer against certain cards so it was just just kind of how the deck felt overall that i made the decision to play it
0: mm-hmm. yeah the way i see it like comparing it to Jessica saga like yeah you don't have the sagas but those also made the like stretch the mana base a fair amount so instead, you're getting these planeswalkers, which might be good in other matchups. You're getting expressive iteration is a lot easier to cast in your deck and in your sideboard. You can play like, you know, specific hate cards. Like the Jeskai Saga deck can't really play Meltdown, um, but you can. And so there are definitely like a couple additional benefits to, you know, not playing the Sagas. Right.
1: Oh no, go
2: ahead. I was just gonna say one thing I could see that could be pretty nasty is Bob. You were saying uh, you, sometimes you hold your wastelands for the Saga. Well if you play against this planeswalker version and and you don't know they don't have saga and you try and hold the wasteland for saga, it could go up uh, pretty pretty wrong pretty badly for you. <laughs> As it, when just...
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Well that was the thing about it. A lot of people wasn't familiar with the list. Um, people were very surprised when I I started landing planeswalkers against them and they were like kind of in a world of hurt. Um, because again, they were ha- they were trying to deal with my only my early threats, exchanging like answers against them, and then I would just land a haymaker, walker. Um, you know, Narsa just like is such a-, a beating against some decks, and plus I'm up a card against them most of the time, and now they have to like divert their attention to this card if they want to continue playing the game. So it was just something that people weren't expecting, and so they kind of fell into that trap of like thinking I was a traditional Jeskai deck and I wasn't.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Narsa, it's definitely um, a, a beating against me as well. I played the Mono Blue Affinity list, which you know played eight Baubles as well as uh, Four Thoughtcast, Four Thought Monitor. So I I was d- basically destroying um, you know Jeskai Saga and doing quite well against Blue Red Delver and all the leagues I faced with. My deck, I did face the Just Guy range deck once, and I think my one loss was basically to Narset because my deck uh, didn't really function when Narset was out. And if they had, like, you know, the removal spells for my uh, tokens or what have you, then uh, it could often, you know, seal the game as as one card. Okay, cool. Um, let's see, more Twitter questions. Um, what are your thoughts on Bant Control and then new- you? Fact that they've basically integrated Loam and maybe some Wastelands uh, into the deck as well. Um, that in particular, this person called out um, at Bosch and Roll, Brian Koval, who piloted to a six-two and one finish.
1: Um, I saw his list actually when I was um, uh, when I was kind of just like reviewing the deck list, and I was like, "Oh, this deck is pretty sweet." Um, I I was actually a big proponent of like Bant um, for a little bit. Um, before Modern Horizons uh, 2 came out, I was having a lot of success with the deck. It was really, really good. Um, and everything about it was just very powerful. And then Modern Horizons 2 shaped the, or changed the entire legacy landscape. And I just felt like, um, Bant Control wasn't in a favorite position, but clearly I'm wrong because I didn't put enough time to tweak in the deck like, uh, Brian Cobalt did. But I, I like his list a lot. It has a lot of, um, like unique cards in it that gives him, like, a good game plan against uh, decks and he kind of explained why he has the Loam package in his deck because he runs um, wait, one Singleton Wasteland in the main deck and he has Field of the Dead so you know those two cards combined with Loam helps out a lot and he he has Uro so needs a way to uh, to escape. Um, his deck was really well designed and I would like to try it out in the future for sure. I think it's a good deck.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it seems like you are definitely a more of a mid-range control player than a than a delver player, based on what I'm hearing.
1: <laughs> I like I like a little bit of both. This this deck, um, the Jeskai deck was able to do both. You can, I like a deck that can switch gears if you need to. Like I can play the early threat game with with this deck, but I can also shift gears and play a more controlling route if I if I if I have to. Um, but I I do usually play more delver decks if i can and then but if a sweet mid-range of control that comes along i'm not afraid to to take a go with it
0: Mm -hmm. okay cool um all right so yeah let's pivot into yeah talking more about kind of the the two big events we have this weekend as a whole so obviously there was a legacy pit open with 350 people there was also a legacy showcase challenge uh with 160 people and that was taken down by Julian, who was playing uh, Matthew Vuk at Ozymandias on Twitter. Uh, he basically posted a really, really good deck guide for Jeskai Saga and Grixis Tempo. I strongly recommend you check out those two. Um, or, like, that one giant article he posted about both decks out, um, even if you're not necessarily playing either deck, because he goes really deep into articulating kind of, you know, what he sees as the strengths uh, of each deck and how he built his list and explaining, you know, not only a sideboard guide, but just, like, explaining why every card was, you know, chosen the way it was chosen. So I love deck guides that, like, go more in detail than just, like, oh, this matchup, you take out these four cards, you put in these four cards, because, I mean, I think all, like, advanced players know that, like, yeah, I think a sideboard guide is a good place to start, but, you know, more importantly, it's understanding, like, your role in the matchup, the role of every different card. Sometimes, depending on, you know, if I faced Gary this weekend and I saw a Narset versus I played against someone who had the standard set of Sagas, I might change my sideboard uh, plan a little bit differently. I might leave in, you know, more creatures, more red blasts. Um, just got to think about those small things. So I thought that was a, a really, really strong um guide from from Matthew Vuk and Julian was able to like follow it closely and he took down the showcase challenge um, with the Saga deck. So um, that was definitely very cool, definitely suggest you guys um, check those out if you you haven't seen them. But uh, it looks like uh, essentially I've been tracking kind of results since Modern Horizons 2 came out and as a whole between, you know, Blue Red Tempo plus Jeskai Tempo. Um, that's roughly, you know, let's call it a third of the format. Um, but in the past, like, few weeks, I've really seen it tick up to probably closer to, you know, 40% of the format. Um, so I, I wonder if it's just, like, people are finally getting the message that, um, you know, no matter what other decks are doing, if, you, if you're if you playing Raghavan, if you're playing Days, and you have, like, this, um, you know, good stuff combo of cards around them, it's just a, it's just a really, like, fundamentally broken thing to be doing. Because, you know, the other thing I I wanted to call out, too, was, like, I looked at all the other decks that are, you know, placing finishes, and none of them are particularly, like, bad against Delver. Like, yeah, there's Doomsday. Um, I would say that's maybe the one exception that's not very good against Delver. But if you look at other popular decks, like Lands, Death and Taxes, Bank Control, Elves, um, Green White Depths, I would say, like, all of them, like... And, and Hogak, all of them like have different strengths that can be like very difficult for Delver to, to deal with. Um, and my, I might even go as far as saying like some of them are favored against Delver, if, especially if Delver is unprepared. Um, yet at the same time, we're seeing, you know, these blue, red Raghavan decks put up uh, more and more de- uh, results into kind of the top portion of the metagame. So I, I think we've kind of, um you know, almost reached a boiling point slash inflection point where like people just figured out this, like this is just like so good that you can just, like, play this deck, change your sideboard cards every weekend, uh, and and then just do really well with it. Um, that's kind of how I feel. Do you guys see it similarly, or you want to disagree with me on anything I just uh, said? Um, oh, Daniel,
1: go ahead, man. I'll, oh, no, uh, I'll follow saying, up out uh, to you.
2: No, I was just saying, uh, not particularly. Uh, that was all <laughs> uh, I was saying.
1: I... I think I agree with your sentiment on the format. Um, I think Modern Horizons 2 brought up about a lot of good cards. And honestly, like having these eight red one drops, I think have just completely changed the format. They're both busted beyond imagination. And now, uh, they also now also blue red Delver or whatever blue red X shell just gets an amazing win con in the form of Murktide, And it's really hard to deal with. So it covers both ends of the spectrum, the early game and the late game. So it's just not not really fair and so I feel like something's probably going to have to go if the format needs to like, you know, fix itself.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. Um I like I think I posted this on Twitter. I would personally ban Rogavan and Murktide. Um, you know, I think Murtagh is just a little bit too ridiculous for what it does. Like, you know, two mana, eighty eight in Delver, it's just, it's just too silly. And then obviously, Ragavon's Ragavan. I think DRC is also extremely good, but I mean, it, it does have somewhat of a drawback. Like, it, it's graveyard reliant and it has to attack, and it, it's red, it, which makes some like strains on your mana base. Um, it kind of forces you to be like all volcanic islands. Like, your your one drops not really scaling into the late game. So I think that one's kind of probably the least egregious of the three. Um, but, uh, the other, the other kind of big discourse going around on Twitter is like, do we ban these snowball threats or do we ban days? Um, if it comes to that. So do you guys have any takes there? Yeah. It's, uh, there, I, uh,
2: I think the format's in a pretty weird place to a degree, because there's been a lot of years of, well, I mean, the last couple of years, there've been a lot of cards that you could see as maybe negative for the format you know even back to veil vale of summer and Uro, like do those i mean i don't know about veil vale of summer but i mean it, like is a a card that makes the format better I, I mean i'm not sure exactly but the point is there's just like a few years of these kind of cards so and then uh, modern horizons 2 just um adds on top of all of that i definitely feel like um ragavan and Tide and drc i think uh might uh, have the potential to be adding a uh, negative ev for the format i mean personally on rag i don't really understand the design of it it just seems like too good i mean um i think it, if you compare it to like deserite shaman because they're pretty similar and they're like a one drop that can pull your hit on mana i thought Right shaman was kind of cleaner because right shaman just snowballed mana it could also deal damage and gain life and, and all that stuff but it, it, like, it wasn't really running away with the game doing that stuff. Was, like, the snowball part of the card was the uh, mana. It's just like that, that stuff made it even better. But uh is the kind of card that can uh, snowball wisdom, like snowball mana and cards at the same time. And it has haste with dash. It has like, synergy with your own Karakas. Obviously, that makes it weak to your opponent's Karakas. Um, but let's just make a like you know game states that might be frustrating where you where you have removal and they have rec- uh, recommend plus karakis um so overall I don't, I don't i don't really understand the design of the card it just seems like too snowball-y um like I, well i guess it's supposed to be like sort of a powerful one drop in red that you uh don't just play in a typical red aggro deck but it just seems a bit too pushed in the context of legacy to me like in modern it's a bit more fun i think the reason it's like it's exacerbated in legacy is because of cards like days and wasteland i mean obviously that's the argument that those cards are too good um but i, I don't really fall there yet i mean that might be the case but i um I, I think that like a lot of legacies have been pretty enjoyable when they've been legal like in the past um just from my personal perspective and uh, i feel like Ragavan's a particularly unenjoyable card I also think Merktide is a bit pushed. I mean, that might be taking it too far, but I just think that's the kind of card where you can play it. Like, for the mana you invest, it does too much. So that creates situations where, like, the game finished and one player just won um, because they played Ragavan, And uh, for what the mana they invested, it just outperformed their opponent's cards on, like, such a high level. Like, imagine playing against a Chalice deck or some random creature deck and they can't remove it or something. It, it just seems, like, too efficient. Like, it reminds me of Hogak. Like, you pay two mana and get an 8-8 with flying. Mm-hmm um and drc i also think it's a bit pushed too like for again like you invest one mana and what you get out of it is feels like more than what um one mana should give you so it feels like asymmetrically powerful compared to what your own stuff is doing but uh so i'm not sure but that's a lot of cards and then but yeah i'm I'm personally more on the side of uh get if i was in charge of watsi i would get rid of new cards because i think that uh a lot of legacy has been enjoyable with, with days and Wasteland Legal, and I, I think these new cards are not that enjoyable by my personal taste.
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was saying, too. I mean, in the past, like, if you had, a, you know, days Wasteland going, you would be snowballing. It wouldn't really be snowballing. You'd be, like, stacking damage with Delver and Tarmogoyf, uh, but now the situation's totally different where you're, like, snowballing cards, um, you know, whether it's with, like, Rogvines or Euros, uh, and then just, you know, ending the game on the spot with tides. It's just—it's definitely a little bit too much.
1: Yeah, I—I I totally agree with you guys. What you're saying. Um, I'm obviously I play with Daze. I don't think Daze needs to get the ban just because. Um, I think before when we only had you know Delver as a one drop, if you didn't have Delver in turn one and you were playing a Cantrip and you had to Daze your opponent's spell, you're you've now down a land with no board presence, which is a huge you know detriment to you progressing your your game plan. Um, so you know, and a lot of people think that just because like you're playing delve and you have a daze doesn't mean the game's over. It's usually backed up by the fact that you have a threat plus a another maybe counter spell or removal spell. That's usually when the game kind of snowballs. But I think a majority of the time, daze is fine as it is. It's just right now we have you know eight premium one drops. That is, um, as you guys said, creating a snowball effect. Um, Ragaban replaces the lands that it that you get from hidden days and then drc can just help dig to find whatever you need to and fuel it for um tide which is also ridiculous
2: yeah i would also like to add another part is ragavan is pretty similar to like dread arcanist and Death right shaman and i know some people say that they think uh, ragavan weaker than dread horde arcanist um but it's like we have uh or, 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 i forget like whichever one so that like the way things are now makes sense where dread banned and ragavan's legal like ragavan's weaker um but then it's i, I forget I, i'm confusing myself but i just mean like do you think uh, like death right shaman is better than ragavan so like i'd be i mean maybe it is but it's also just like fun does play into a factor a bit i mean not to use that argument too much but i personally just like death right shaman is so much more of a clean um, magic card to me than ragavan it's so much less frustrating because you know what it does it just makes mana and it does that i find like playing into ragavan is so uh can be so tedious, especially the constant sort of dash. It feels like playing in Splinter Twin, especially in it, days. Like, it, well, it's because I played blue decks, but it's like if you ever tap out like if, and you have a removal spell, they can dash Ragaman and then maybe hit something and then blow you out. And uh, if you only leave a point mana, they can daze you. I mean, I can understand why uh, people dislike daze a lot. It feels very like um, absurd to play against because it's like, okay, if I cast the spell and I pay two, three mana and they daze it, it's so bad for me. But if I don't play my spell, it's so bad for me. And even if they have days, they can still pitch it to force or brainstorm it away. Um, but I, but legacy is kind of I feel like it's it's historically I feel like it's usually pretty good and the format's pretty good and usually days is a part of that. And obviously they keep printing these new kind of uh buzz cards, but I, I feel like just my personal views on is usually pretty good. So I am kind of I know it's kind of weird because like they're banning all these new cards, like they ban Death Right Shaman, and then they ban Dread Horde, and then they ban Ragavan. But I mean I do I do think Dreadlord was kind of like a design mistake in Ragvan too. I actually saw it, and um, Deathrite was was a bit an, um, annoying at times with Days and Wasteland. Like imagine you go Deathrite on the play, your opponent bolts it, you daze it, then you wasteland them. It was a bit crazy, but um, I I didn't find that Deathrite was too you know um, absurd for me. I mean Legacy we have Ancient Tomb and LED, and even though the blue decks might be the best decks, I mean it's Magic's not a game that you can balance perfectly, and I thought it was pretty fun in good those formats then
0: yeah i mean a couple points there i think uh fun is definitely you know it it is a little bit subjective but the thing about now is just like it's just it's it's you get buried so quickly by a a ragavan that like you know hits anything relevant in your deck that the game is just like obviously you can you know drag it out a little bit longer but um you know every incremental treasure matters and every incremental like ponder or whatever they hit um, matters even more so it's just uh, a little bit of a difficult situation um so yeah i mean I'm, I'm definitely with you i think it was like you know not as bad with death rate.
1: i agree i think ragavan is very like pushed and it, it, it just brings a very like like unenjoyable like aspect of the game right because you don't want to be beat by your own cards when you're playing against this card because it's like a kind of like rolling the dice and more than you know probably half the time your opponent's probably hitting something really good or taking something away from you that you you kind of needed especially like you know if you're light on lands and it hits lands every time i know that doesn't sound great for the Ragman player that's hitting you with it but it might be doing them a favor because now you're not hitting any lands when you need to hit them
0: hmm yeah it just it, it, it's just not as enjoyable to to play against because even like um you know when death ray was happening is basically like yeah they had a mana advantage but you could still like do stuff um whereas now you know if they have a mana and a card advantage you're just you're just behind on both axes and it's kind of hard when you're you know behind you, you want to find like something to, to leverage but you're just behind in everything and there's not much you can really do um how do you guys yeah how do you guys feel about kind of you know, playing these blue-red Raghavan mirrors versus, you know, I guess the old death rate mirrors. Like, I personally found a lot more success with the old mirrors right now. I, maybe I'm playing worse, um, but it feels like yeah, like maybe some of the time there's just like nothing you can do. So I don't know. Do you guys think your your mirror win rate was like higher in that meta or higher in this meta or like you don't really see too much of a difference?
1: Um, um I. Oh, sorry, (laughs) sorry, Daniel. Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. Well, so I do want to. Well, so if we're talking about traditional blue-red mirrors, um, I wasn't having a, a lot of success, like because, like I said, I didn't feel like how well I played out, like could outmatch the power level of the cards my opponents were playing. If that makes sense. Like, even if I'm like, you know, brainstorming a little bit better, pondering maybe a little bit better if the games still weren't close enough for my liking like it you know because my opponents are playing the same identical cards as me so they're doing the same thing as me and sometimes they just play the cards and it's going to win them the games um probably you know 90 percent of the time that's why i kind of like i kind of went with the white splash because it gave me more ways to control the game to my to my favor like i can choose what threats they have i can um implement my same threats but you know I have more answers to theirs so that's kind of what gave me the edge and that's why I kind of like shifted to like the chess guy variant but blue red traditionally I just wasn't enjoying that matchup very much
2: um yeah I would say I haven't played that much of of this new format regular only been out a few months and I haven't played I know that much legacy but I did feel like it's kind of there's a lot of situations where it feels like you're between a rock and a hard place um, um, especially, uh, with Ragavan, like, there'd be a lot of situations where, like, you want to tap low, but then if you do, and you pass your opponent, they can dash Ragavan, or, or um, let me just think of a better way to put it, like, cards like Iteration and, uh, Murktide, I don't know exactly how to say it, but the cards are kind of, like, very volatile and can, like, kind of win in one turn, or if they get away from one turn. So I'm not sure the best way to articulate that, but it felt like playing the mirrors, There's a lot of situations where it was like, um, kind of hard to decide what, what you can beat. Like, do you bolt the dragon Ridge channeler? Uh, or do you pass to try and hold, you know, your removal for a ragavan? Um, but if you pass, they get like surveil triggers or like, if you have expressive iteration, like, um, knowing exactly when to cast it versus days. I mean, playing around days has always been tricky, um, but there's like minor stuff. Um, like, I don't know exactly how to put it, but it just—it just felt like there was a lot of um, moments in the mirror where you had to make a choice, and like within the next turn, it would be like uh, a huge impact, and it was kind of difficult to decide. So I found it kind of tricky to play, just like with sequencing. Or um, I don't know exactly how <laughs> to articulate that. My bad, but it just felt like a lot of the cards were like yeah. 10 out of 10 threats, like Ragavan, Murktide, DRC iteration, and it was kind of hard to uh, keep that all in mind and, and sequence everything in such a way. Um, compared to when it was like Tarmogosh and Nimmo Mongoose, it was kind of a bit easier to process the game and, and your decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't like, I, I haven't played that much. So I haven't really made up a uh, scene like, you know, what my, how my win rates spin in the mirrors. If I've, you know, g- uh, played in a bunch and tried stuff and see how it is. Um, so far it's felt like, uh, like it's been, it's going okay, but I always feel stressful when I play those games and you know, like, one Merc Tide or one iteration could put you so far behind or having so many one drops that are all so high impact you know what I mean that's how I would
0: put Mm -hmm. it yeah actually how do you guys feel about the card expressive iteration because you know so a lot of control players like Anurag in particular is also calling out that card as a as a major problem just you know the fact you're giving Delver card advantage to me it seems like iteration is very strong but um you know before Raghavan was around I think it was a, a, a very good card but like Rogavan's also like turbocharged it somewhat because now you know there are situations if you connect with Raghavan you can play your iteration on turn two um and start hitting land drops that way so I think like potentially without Raghavan in the format iteration is still very good but not like you know almost free like it is now but what do you guys think of the card is it like a problem or you think it's like you know uh not that bad
1: too good (laughs) i'm gonna straight the games i won uh were easily were with expressive iteration um i think i mentioned this already once but in in a mirror against blue red uh in the tournament i actually used sanctuary to return uh iteration in the late game and it was not close after that um i think what you said about ragavan creating it to like allow it to be explosive on turn two or you know earlier in the game it's it's just so powerful and it's just such a proactive card um that you can play to to advance your your land drop and the board state possibly it just creates this snowball effect that it's really hard to come back from and the thing is you don't really want to waste a like a counter spell on it like a force will if you don't have to but sometimes it's like necessary and then now you're overwhelmed by uh whatever threat they had in their hand so that's kind of like i think dan what you're talking about with the decision tree is that no matter what your opponent's playing their cards are just so powerful that it's just going to take over the game no matter which decision you make to interact and i think that's kind of the kind of the situation we're in where all the cards in this in this deck is a 10 out of 10.
2: yeah i would also add uh, that I, when I when I was seeing that card I was calling a through time for a while because, you know, I'd pay two mana, look at the top X cards and put two in your hand. But you were saying it's good with Ragavan, but it's also pretty good with Dragon Raid because yeah, when you have Dragon Raid Channeler, imagine if you have two in play, it's like it literally becomes a through time because you know you surveil twice, then you look at the top three, but then also like the cards you draw also keep surveilling. Um I would say one problematic play planner, or probably one frustrating on your rock, uh, is I was I, I played the Jesguy Saga deck in the uh showcase last weekend and one play pattern i noticed when i play against blue red delver is like if they sometimes they would go like one drop i would kill it um you know they play another one drop i would kill it again but like maybe i'm on the draw and then that would be turn three and they would like resolve an expressive iteration um and i would just feel like behind like i could not resolve my own um because maybe they would wasteland slam me or they would have days or so on like basically what i noticed is like they would go one drop you're like okay i have my removal spell kill it they play another one I have my removal spell kill it Play iteration, it's like, oh no, I'm far behind. And I, you know, I had a, two removal spells. So um, it's definitely an odd card in New York card, I wouldn't, I don't think it's as uh, obviously um, sort of problematic as the other ones. But I think the reason it would frustrate people is it's like, it's just the kind of card your opponent casts in, you instantly fall behind. And maybe it feels like they didn't invest enough in the card to make you just fall behind. Like all they did was pay two mana, and now it feels like you're so far behind. So if maybe that's why people like felt feel cheesed out. Uh, when they're playing Bant.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, okay, but I don't know. I just feel at the same time that, like, you know, Knight's Whisper has been in the format for years and nobody's played it. Uh, maybe more people should have been testing it out. Uh, but, you know, 2-Life is a little bit of a drawback. But, you know, how, what do you, like, really see as, like, being, you know, huge differences between iteration and, and Knight's Whisper? Like, why isn't, you know, Knight's Whisper seeing, like, hardly any play?
1: It's I blue. Played- it's blue it's it's a that's a big reason i think you can picture the force if it's if it's if it if you need to but you also get to see a third card which knight's whisper doesn't technically speaking so and I, I know it's i know it's minute but that third card makes a huge difference whether it's the land that you needed or it's a draw spell or it's the action that you needed but it makes a world difference whereas knight's whisper just you know gets it into your hand like Seeing that third card is huge. Yeah, it's basically like
2: it's way more likely that you draw two spells off of iteration compared to Night's Whisper it's like pretty normal. They draw one land, one spell. Yeah, whereas iteration, I mean the selection, obviously there's so much that comes with the selection, but it's just, uh, yeah, the selection is huge. Also, yeah, the fact that it's blue is pretty nice, uh, too. But mm-hmm. th- there's, a, I think there's a, a, r- a, reasonably big difference between, uh, card selection and just drawing cards, especially if you think about like yeah. how powerful cards like Ponderar are and stuff like that.
0: Uh mm-hmm. huh. All right. Fair point. I am convinced. Um, all right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't want to like you know leave all of our audience with a like you know kind of all this doom and gloom. Like I still think Legacy is super interesting. Um, you know, I'm finding like some joy in like playing some of the you know underexplored decks like Affinity. I think um, you know I, I alluded to this earlier, but like Delver pretty much doesn't have any you know, great matchups left in the field. Um, Any given weekend, if you pick kind of like the right deck to prey on Delver, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Elves, maybe it's Hogak, maybe it's Affinity. Like Delver probably can't prepare for everything at once. Um, And so like you can still find an edge without playing Delver. Like, you know, any given tournament, Delver's probably going to be, you know, one of the top three decks, but there there probably is like one deck that weekend that is, you know, potentially better um, positioned than Delver. And if you look at the um, kind of win rate results from the open, Affinity had a 67% win rate, so that's, you know, pretty spectacular. And there were, like, you know, quite a few players... Not that many, but, like, maybe four or five players on it. So I think that's, like, you know, another solid showing. So, you know, overall, I I agree, like, some of the play patterns are problematic. Personally, you know, I don't really enjoy it. So I'm trying to, you know, exploit uh, the blue decks and and figure out, you know, what might be good for a given weekend. Um, Obviously, you can, you know tweak your blue decks as well to be different in the mirror and like taking advantage of, you know, if information asymmetry, like maybe people don't know you have Planeswalker. So there's still a lot you can be doing in the format that are enjoyable other than just like, you know, slinging the stock 60. And if you wanna sling the stock 60 too, like you're not gonna be losing too many percentage points over the general field. In fact, you'll probably be, you know, very much ahead of versus the general field. And maybe there'll be a few people in the room, like, you know, who have a better read than you, but um, you can't really go too wrong. so yeah i don't know what i was trying to say there other than like there are still really fun and interesting things to be doing in legacy
1: yeah legacy is still a lot of fun um i actually have a an upcoming event this weekend and i'm i'm gonna try something different too maybe so we'll see like there's there's a lot of room in in the format to to grow it's just unfortunately right now it's it, it they made it a little simple with these um these eight one drops and the all the blue cards, they, they just made it too easy to build a deck together. So and I think that's what some of the frustrations is coming across for a lot of players. But I think there's still a lot of growth in Legacy with, with these cards and, you know, with new upcoming sets. Like, there might be more powerful cards that comes out that, you know, debunks... Oh, God,
0: please no. <laughs> well, maybe
1: in the, I, I... Maybe the opposite direction, you know, where they're not so good in blue-red Delver shells.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always been the problem is, like, they, they just keep printing... Like cards that go in the blue shells. Uh, ideally, I think what most people want is cards that not necessarily go into blue shells or combo decks, but cards that go well in um, basically non-blue fair decks. So you know, they went heavy with the artifact theme in Modern Horizons 2, and that boosted that archetype a lot. Um, basically, you know, anytime they like print stuff for like Death and Taxes, Maverick, maybe even lands. Like those, those are like some more interesting things that are are happening. So. Um, you know, it's not all just like, you know, happening to the blue decks.
2: Yeah. I think, uh, one, one way I was feeling about legacy recently is it was kind of feeling more like a uh, vintage to me than it usually does. Though I don't know if that's just me. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, it's still uh, pretty enjoyable. Uh, people are still liking it. And I agree that the format, even though, um, there's a kind of, it, the format's really, uh, um, hovering around a few cards. There's definitely a lot of space you can do to go to a Brewery, iterate and Tune these decks. Like, for example, that Planeswalker deck, um, uh, it's not stock, you know, not very many people play it. Like, you're already there, like, I played Jace, you know, next time maybe I wouldn't play Jace. So, and there's a lot of, like, one ofs, and it's kind of fun to tweak them, deciding, like, which key cards to play and so on. And also DRC is kind of a weird card to play with, like, sequencing the surveils and playing that out
0: um Mm -hmm. i I like drc a lot it just there's so many decisions when you play that card it's like yeah like usually you just want to like you know mill something even if it's like pretty decent just to get you closer to delirium closer to you know playing Merktide or second Merktide. um but then obviously there are spots where it's like oh if the card is good enough for you to maybe get an advantage out of then you shouldn't mill it so there's a lot of tension with that card and i've been enjoying it um more so than the other the other um you know two two creatures um, but also, by the way, I guess we're, we can wrap up soon, but, um, you know, the, the other thing I noticed from the Legacy Pit Open was um, Urza Saga. It's still, I mean, like, despite all this talk, we just spent an hour talking about Raghavan and Murktide, I, I still think Urza Saga might be the best card in the set. Uh, people are playing it in lands, like, most people played three copies in lands um, at the Legacy Pit Open. Uh, some people are even playing four copies now. Uh, that's what Jarvis played in the showcase. Uh, Death and Taxes, one of my friends got ninth uh, and kind of, you know, had a chance to make top eight, um, but drew in the last round, but he was also playing Yorion Taxes with four Urza Saga. Um, You know, my deck, Affinity, obviously plays four Urza Saga. Um, This is a card that's like, we're beginning to see it show up in like multiple shells. At first it was just Affinity, and then obviously Jeskai Saga, but now it's like, people are really realizing the power of this card when you get like you know two free like um you know at least 3344s three, three, four, and if they're in an artifact deck maybe like 667788 eight, um plus the ability to kind of like tutor for um like a key target um it's just like it is insane um it's uncounterable uh pretty much the only profitable way to interact with it is wasteland and you know some control decks are even playing wasteland now um, and actually, it's not even profitable. It's just you get to trade one for one and, and not fall super far behind. So um, I don't know. I still think it's in many ways it's the best card in the set.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one kind of cleaner answer you can play to it is cards like meltdown, especially uh, mm-hmm. uh, meltdown. Usually, like a lot of those artifact decks don't have that much counterplay to it. But obviously, yeah, Urza Saga. I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting card. It's a land that can be a three for one that can make like giant creatures. so It's definitely a uh, bizarre card compared to you know imagine if you were playing magic in like the 90s or 2000s and that was on a land it's just like a quite a new way to design a magic card yeah you know, just a land that's three for ones that cheap at that rate and so on it's definitely i think uh, quite a bizarre card
0: yeah brains would brains would explode if it were around in earlier sets uh and it's so deceptive too like when I, i'm playing the affinity deck like If I, I like, multi 5, but if I have, like, Urza Saga plus Ancient Tomb in my hand, like, that's already stronger than, like, most of my starts because, you know, on turn 3 I'm going to be attacking with, like, a 5-5 and then, you know, making another 5-5. So it's just, like, uh, you know, a lot of value wrapped up in one card, and it is kind of cool that, you know, it goes in all these different decks, like I mentioned, not just in, like you know, the blue shell and the affinity shell, but it's starting to see, you know, play in other shells, seeing more exploration, so... No,
2: I would say one thing about it.
0: Yeah, I've been playing uh
2: um, Hammer Time and Modern a bit recently, and the card is just so absurd the deck because if you have Springleaf Drum, and then you start, like, making constructs on show two, and it, like, it fetches your combo pieces, like it fetches Colossus Hammer. It just, it feels like cheating almost, right? <laughs> when you have that card, like, it just... Like you literally pay two mana and you make like six six and seven sevens. Like you, there's there's not even cards that you pay two mana that you get six six and seven sevens. Like it's cheaper than a creature you dash, you get two and you get a tutor and it's like it's not even like it only gets hammer your combo piece. You can also get utility cards like pissing needle, um, shadow spear. I mean any artifact that's zero or one. I mean it's just unreal. Retrofitter
1: foundry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean retrofitter.
2: Yeah, that card's crazy yeah. too. Yeah, like playing with it. That marks, card's thirty dollars now. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but it, it feels like wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so. Great. Yeah, I I think you you probably like are pretty spot on about it. Uh, Bob, I I like Urza Saga. Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't think it's very good in terms of like I think of some of the blue shells. Like the I I think it's better in like the shells you described. They're like lands where they can play multiple lands a turn. Um, you know they can also play Life Alone to return it. Death and Taxes. You know they have 8 Vials to like. You know, play the creatures while making constructs, um, and then your deck, the the side deck, um, that deck can generate lots of mana easily. I think it's way more powerful to exploit in those type of decks where you're doing super unfair things with it and making more mana than traditional like blue decks can. So I think that's where those cards shine. Um, and yeah, that was definitely something I considered. And yeah, like meltdown, I definitely in some of my opponent's constructs throughout the day. So um, I actually lost to a blue-red player that he... Well, he played all four of his Urza Sagas against me, and I was so far behind in those games. But uh, yeah, that card is just unreal. So who knows? Maybe that card will eventually not see playing in Legacy, like where it gets banned or whatever, but it's, it's definitely one of the more powerful cards of the set, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, and actually... it Yeah, uh, sorry, I was just going to add, like... You know, you, I, I agree with like everything you said Um, and the fact that it's like slightly weaker in the blue shells, like it's still fine there, but it's it's stronger than non blue shells like I think that's cool like that's what we're kind of asking for is is fair cards that don't necessarily slot super well in the blue shells. Uh, Daniel what were you oh, going yeah, to
2: say I think that's uh, one interesting part about uh, saga that it's how good it is can really vary deck to deck that's that's like one thing I've played a bit of modern and there's a lot of like different people trying to play saga in that format in different decks. And the power, like how good it is in a deck like Jund, where people are just basically playing Jund and they have Saga in the deck, where it just makes like one ones and two twos, and you don't have mana ramp, and or you play it in like uh, certain decks like Asmo, where your mana is tight and you have so much stuff to do, and then you uh, or, and then you put it in a deck like Hammer Time, where all your your curve is like top set one basically, like all your spells are one mana, and it tutors Hammer and like your decks all artifacts, um, it just it, it's it, it can really change, like, how, how powerful the card is deck to deck, which is kind of interesting, like, how much it can for when you put in a deck like Jund or in, uh, compared to a deck like Hammer Time.
1: Well, so, Bob, you mentioned this earlier, but it's kind of like, you know, understanding the role of your deck kind of deal. And I think this, is like, fits perfectly with that, that magic theory or texture of games where, like, Yes, the card is very powerful, but it just can't be slotted into everything without there being some consequences. Whereas some decks, you naturally slot this card in and it turns the deck from like a six out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. And then other decks, it just kind of gives it a smaller bump, like, like Daniel said in, in modern. Like, I feel like that's how Urza Saga is in, in Legacy. It's like, it's an amazing card in the right decks that can fetch the combo pieces or can fetch, uh, or it can like, you know, add more threats to their decks where they normally don't have it. But that's where it kind of, like in, like, in in the blue shells, like the Delver shells, like, you already have plenty of threats and you have plenty of card advantage. So that's kind of where I'm not, like, happy where that card is in those type of decks as a, as a reason. But, like, in your deck, the artifact deck, yeah, that card's a 10 out of 10 for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, we've been going for about an hour. Um, I think we can probably wrap up. Any uh, kind of last thoughts or shout-outs, Gary?
1: Um, again... A shout out to uh, DFW Zoo. Um, shout out to AZ Legacy Magic Players. Um, you know, again, if anybody out there is listening and whatever, check, come out to check out one of our events. Um, uh, we do have a, a Facebook page on AZ, um, Legacy Players or AZ, uh, Magic Legacy. So just go ahead and come on out and, and ch- come to check out one of our events. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Awesome. Um, no, no. Thanks again for having me, guys. It was a pleasure.
0: Yeah, um definitely learned a lot myself and will definitely be recommending this episode. Um congrats again, Gary, and enjoy uh in your victory. Appreciate it. Back to
1: All back, right, back. Take care guys. Yeah, thank you back guys. To back. Appreciate it.